Welcome to the Wild Wisdom Podcast with Dr. Patricia Mills. I'm Dr. Patricia. This podcast is for people who want to transform their health, restore their hormones, and reconnect to their body's natural wisdom. Hi, I'm Dr. Patricia. I'm a Canadian medical doctor, published author, internationally recognized researcher, and passionate advocate for your health. Here, we'll explore the intersection between ancient wisdom and cutting-edge science, distilling the essence of true health into practical steps you can take. Wild wisdom is instinctive knowledge in action. Thanks for making this part of your day. Could your favorite sugar substitute be causing you to gain weight, crave foods, and grow cancer? Here's the science and what to use instead. Welcome to the Wild Wisdom Show. I'm Dr. Patricia Mills, a holistic medical doctor with a root cause approach to health. And today we're going to be talking about artificial sweeteners and the science behind them causing weight gain, diabetes, and cancer. And don't you worry, I'm going to cover what you should be using instead. So first of all, let's talk about what are artificial sweeteners or sugar substitutes? Well, uh, the original intention of artificial sweeteners was to help people control their weight by eating less calories. And there was also the hope that it would reduce the incidence of type 2 diabetes and other consequences of eating too many calories like heart disease. And so there was a development of various different artificial sweeteners, including these are just such hard words to say, um, but essentially the ones that you find in the sweetener Sweet One or Senate, then there's Adventame, there's the very popular Aspartame, which is what you find in NutraSweet and Equal, there's Neotame, there's Saccharin in Sweet and Low, and Sucralose in Splenda, as well as Monk Fruit in products like Monk Fruit in the Raw and any refined stevia product. By that, I mean a stevia product that is either a white powder or a liquid. And orig the original stevia comes from a plant, and it's actually a raw green powder. And I've grown stevia, a stevia plant, and then you dehydrate it, and then you turn it into a powder. That's the natural stevia. Anything that's a white powdered or liquid stevia is not... Um, in its natural form anymore. It's been highly, highly refined. We're also talking about sugar alcohols like xylitol and erythritol. Now they can be derived from plants. They can also be artificially created. And again, they are very highly refined. It's no longer um, what you would like naturally find in nature, like honey or maple syrup. You could find that, or I should say honey, you can find in nature in its original form. But xylitol and erythritol are very uh, refined products from plants. Not to say they're bad. We are going to go into the research on whether or not I would recommend them. And there's also a newer kit on the block called allulose. And so uh, it's relatively new. So we don't have a lot of research on it. But I will cover some concerns I have with allulose. And again, if you're joining me live, put your questions in the comments. That's the benefit of joining live. And one way to join live is to join my free Facebook for Women, Wild Wisdom for Women with Dr. Patricia Mills. And I look forward to seeing you inside. All right. So artificial sweeteners, the question, one of the questions we're going to answer is, do they actually work for better weight control and prevention of type 2 diabetes? Or are they even good for people who have type 2 diabetes? 
Now, the interesting thing is that the background that you have to understand is that these artificial sweeteners and products were allowed um, to be used in food products and as sweeteners because they were they fell under the category of what is called by the Food and Drug Administration as generally recognized as safe or GRAS. And what's interesting about this category is that you do not actually have to do rigorous research in humans to have this go into the category, to have a substance like artificial sweeteners go into that category. So when these um, sweeteners were allowed to be used in food production and, and for human consumption, they did not have what would be considered a very high quality study done on humans. The highest quality kind of study you can do on humans is called a randomized control trial. So what that means is you take humans and you divide them into two groups randomly. You randomize that. And then you give one group the product of interest, like you give them the sweetener, and then you give the other group, uh, you know, something that looks like the sweetener, but isn't the sweetener. And you observe the differences between the two groups. And of course, what you'd want to know is what are the short term effects of that? And what are the long term effects of that? And when these were allowed uh, into food, into our food supply, that we did not have those studies done yet. The reason they were, uh, one of the reasons they were generally recognized as safe is because a lot of these were thought to not interact with the human body because either they were not absorbed, so they would stay in the gut, or they would be absorbed but not broken down. And they would be like peed out or pooped out. So it was thought that because they weren't being absorbed into the body or uh, were not being broken down by inside of the body, that they would not have an effect on the body. But what's interesting is that now we have studies, we have randomized control trials, we have long-term um, observational studies of large thousands and thousands of people who have been consuming this now over time. And now we have proof that artificial sweeteners increase the risk of obesity, insulin resistance, type 2 diabetes, and heart disease. And this is really problematic. I'm going to get right into this. I'm going to prove to you that I'm not just saying this. This is absolutely in the research. And one study that does a really good job of summarizing some of the studies, you have to go through multiple different studies to get all of this information the way I put it together. I'm putting it together for you here today. But this one is called Artificial Sweeteners as a Sugar Substitute. Are they really safe? And this was published in 2016. If you're listening to this on a podcast, you'll want to pop over to YouTube to catch this video. Um, I'll put it under um, Artificial Sweeteners um, playlist and the PubMed, and I put on all the information about the research so you can dive into it if you want to get really geeked out on this stuff. And the reason behind why this could be happening, right, is because of two new research discoveries, scientific discoveries, um, that could explain why artificial sweeteners are causing such a problem in the population. Reason number one is the gut microbiome, which we're going to get into. And reason number two is that they're finding that it causes changes in our brain chemistry. So stay tuned. So the gut microbiome, if you've been following me now for a little while, you'll know this in more detail. But just as a very quick review, it's a complex community 
of microorganisms living in our gut. So bacteria, fungi, viruses, and we are all born with a gut microbiome. It it is uh, an intricate part of our system. They do jobs for us, like break down our fiber that we eat. We do not break down our fiber. Our gut microbiome breaks down our fiber. And then that uh, breakdown product from the fiber called ketones is then used by our body. And that's where the health effects of fiber come from. So obviously, the gut microbiome is very interconnected with our health, with our metabolism. And what they have found just recently is that there are unintended effects of artificial sweeteners on our gut microbiome. And there was actually a randomized, double-blinded trial, just like I said, the highest level of quality that you can have on this specific question. And in the study, they used aspartame and sucralose. And this caught my eye because I used to use sucralose quite a bit to sweeten my uh, coffees and teas before I slowly was able to wean myself off of having sweet drinks. And so this caught my attention. And essentially what they found is that these sweeteners change our gut microbiome. And it seems as though the the change is bad. It's not a good change. And here's a study published in 2014 showing that even though the, the, remember the original intention was that these artificial sweeteners were thought to either not increase our blood sugar, right? Because they were either not absorbed um, into the body, so they wouldn't increase the sugar in our blood and therefore potentially lead to problems with weight gain and diabetes. Well, look at this. This this research published in 2014 called Artificial Sweeteners Induce Glucose Intolerance by Altering the Gut Microbiota. So all even though these sweeteners may not be absorbed into the body and act like sugar in the body, they cause changes in our gut microbiome, which has subsequent effects of uh, problems with sugar balance, blood sugar balance, and uh, the balance of insulin hormone in our body, which then can lead to insulin resistance, which is the root cause of diabetes. So bad news for diabetics. Unfortunately, they've done the study on diabetics So not only can you not be a diabetic and develop problems with sugar intolerance and insulin resistance, which can lead to diabetes, if you already have diabetes and you have some of these artificial sweeteners, it can still lead to ongoing problems with insulin resistance. So it's not a good substitute for sugar. And what about weight gain? So It's interesting because some of the studies showed short-term improvements in weight, but guess what? The long-term studies, which we have available now, have very, very bad news for us. In fact, there was a, a study published in 2008 that basically said that these artificial sweeteners um, may not actually be fighting the obesity epidemic. They might be fueling our obesity epidemic. And why is that? Why is it possible that these sweeteners could actually be causing long-term weight gain? Well, one reason was the gut microbiome. Like I said, remember the gut microbiome is involved in our metabolism. So when we alter the gut microbiome, we alter our metabolism. Let that one sink in for a bit. But the second reason, which is, remember, that was factor number two, was that 
artificial sweeteners have been shown, the long-term use of artificial sweeteners. So yeah, if you go and have one diet drink or, you know, you, you, you have one um, food that has artificial sweeteners added to it, which by the way, a lot of ultra processed foods have hidden artificial sweeteners in them to make them more flavor, like more, more pleasurable to eat. So if you eat them occasionally, no problem, but the research is clear and conclusive. Long-term use of artificial sweeteners changes your brain chemistry, leading to food cravings and a decrease in what is called satiety. Satiety is that sense of satisfaction and fullness after you've had a, a, a meal, right? Ideally a healthy meal. But if you've been having, you know, adding that Splenda or that aspartame to your tea or your coffee, um, you know, using sweeteners in your beverages or in your cooking, you could actually over time develop a problem with your brain chemistry so that even when you eat a healthy and nourishing and satisfying meal, you don't feel satisfied. Chemically, the chemistry in your brain is altered. So this is so problematic. I, I can't even like when I came across this research, it, it made me so sad. Can this be fixed? I hope so. But first, we need to remove the root cause, which is the artificial sweetener. And breaking news, the World Health Organization released a new guideline on artificial sweeteners recommending against the use of it to control body weight or reduce the risk of type 2 diabetes based on this evidence that I've shared with you and, and many more other studies. This is just a selection of the research that I'm sharing with you. There's so much more. So for this part of the presentation in terms of weight gain and diabetes, the take-home message, and I'm going to be getting into other things and, and including what to use instead, but the take-home message here is that artificial sweeteners are not the solution for preventing weight gain or preventing diabetes. In fact, they could be a problem. So what about heart disease? Did you know that the number one cause of death in women over the age of 50 is a heart attack? So this is important for men as well. It, it's uh, before the age of 50, it is a leading cause of death for men. For women, after menopause, it becomes a leading cause of death because of our natural decline in estrogen. And interestingly, the use of artificial sweeteners has been linked to an increased risk of heart disease. The dose matters. Now, again, if you're, if you're having, you know, one drink a month or less, there's no increased risk, but if you're having it regularly on a daily basis, like that diet pop or that diet drink, that's going to increase your risk of heart disease and kidney disease. So kidney stones and um, damage to the kidney causing hypertension, right? So this is really, really not good. What about cancer? This is huge. So there was a big, big study published in 2022. This is pretty brand new data. I mean, I'm presenting now in November of 2023. So this is about a year ago this was published. And they, they did an analysis on a very, very huge population. And they divided into people who were using artificial sweeteners and who weren't. And the use of artificial sweeteners increased the risk of any kind of cancer, particularly breast cancer but any kind of cancer. And I don't know if this was the study that triggered it, but the World Health Organization declared that the widely used sweetener aspartame is a possible cause of cancer. And for them to declare something like that, that's pretty big. I mean, it takes a lot 
for that kind of thing to be declared. So the question is, why have the intake guidelines remained the same? Why have they not pulled every, anything from the market? I don't know the answer to that, but isn't that interesting? So you hear, you are here as a savvy consumer, and you're going to learn with me now, what are the least problematic sugar substitutes that you can use? And, and a different answer to that is, what would I do instead? So here we go. So the least problematic sugar substitute is what we're going to cover first. And then at the end, we're going to cover what would I do based on the totality of what I have read in the research. All right. So the least problematic from what I can tell, and what that's a combination of the one that's least likely to cause problems with blood sugar balance through impact of the gut microbiome, as well as problems with the gut microbiome itself, appears to be xylitol, which is a sugar alcohol stevia and monk fruit but in small amounts and occasionally not every day not this is not for everyday use sugar alcohol stevia monk fruit have been shown to cause bloating gas and diarrhea and sugar alcohols in particular erythritol and xylitol in excessive amounts have been linked to irritable bowel syndrome diarrhea and kidney stones okay and what you need to know is that the packaging is so deceptive. So stevia in the raw, I was really interested in that product called stevia in the raw. I was like, oh, is this real, the green, right? Like the real stevia that, you know, is you can get from like a real plant is dehydrated and it's green and it's a powder. First of all, it's not. It's the processed, very refined stevia. And the first ingredient is erythritol. So you're actually getting the sugar alcohol primarily. I, and, you know, you look at a package that says whole earth, stevia and monk fruit, that looks very appealing. But again, the first ingredient is erythritol. Most monk fruits and monk fruit comes from a fruit. Um, it's said to be a sugar free option because it, it tastes sweet, but doesn't actually contain sugar itself. The problem is it's very, very hard to find one that doesn't have any erythritol added in it. Um, and I did find one product that is just the monk fruit, again, in a very refined form because it's a liquid form. So it's in a liquid form and that's called sweet monk. I'm not saying to use it every day. I'm saying you need the occasional use of some kind of sugar substitute. Personally, that would be something that I would consider. However, I'm going to still share with you what I would do instead, which is not to use that. I do need to touch on the topic of allulose because it's becoming very popular these days. And the reason it's becoming popular is because it's a type of sugar that's similar to fructose, okay, or fructose, depending on how you say that. And the, it became popular because um, the calorie per gram is 0.4 compared to 4 grams of calorie of sugar. But the problem with fructose and the fact that allulose is similar to fructose is that one of the reasons, um, so the story of fructose is interesting because at first fructose was, uh, when it was initially studied, it was very attractive um, because uh, like the researchers were like, ooh, this might be really good for us because fructose does not increase insulin production in the body. And the, the downstream, what causes diabetes down the road is the insulin being too high over time, causing resistance to the insulin. And then you develop, you know, pre-diabetes, diabetes. However, what they found over time, and this is relatively new as well, but it's very problematic, is that while the fructose 
when you eat it doesn't increase insulin, it does go straight to the liver. And when you have too much of it, it causes, it can cause, one of the problems it can cause is fatty liver. So it's a non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And so isn't it interesting that fatty liver is on the rise, not only in adults, but children. One of the number one reasons for liver transplants in the US is fatty liver disease. And the problem is that while fructose you can find naturally in the diet in like fruit, the problem is that when you do things to the fruit, like you make it into a juice, now you have a highly concentrated form of fructose. Or when you isolate it and you and you concentrate it like in high fructose corn syrup, that's what's being used in a lot of ultra processed foods as a sweetener. Because again, in the past, they thought that because it didn't increase insulin, it would be a good alternative. And it turns out it's a terrible alternative. It causes fatty liver in excess amounts. So not you don't get fatty liver from eating one to two servings of fruit every day, but you can if you're drinking excessive amounts of, of juice, even if it doesn't have sugar added, because now you've got concentrated fructose from multiple fruits in one beverage, um, and you can get it with added fructose from high fructose corn syrup, as an example. So my concern with allulose is that we simply do not have the research to show whether it is safe and whether it behaves like fructose because it's similar to fructose. That's why they were, um, they, it was attractive as an alternative, but maybe it's going to have the same effect as fructose in terms of fatty liver. So for me, I'm just staying away from that for now. Like, I'm just going to stay away from that. It's again, to get allulose as a sweetener, they have to highly concentrate it from the plant. Um, so, you know, anything that's highly concentrated and refined, highly refined, appears to be suspect in causing some kind of problem in, in our human bodies, right? So what would I use instead? And if you're watching this live, I see there's some viewers. Thank you for joining me. Now is the time to start putting in your questions because there is a delay between when you ask me and when I see it pop up. And I don't want to miss your, your questions. Okay. So here are the best options and I'm going to get into the nitty gritty of each one because we need to get practical with this. How do I practically apply this in my life? So for me, the best options are real stevia, small amounts of raw honey, small amounts of real maple syrup, fruit in moderation, and I'm going to give you a pro tip for when you have a craving for a sweet drink. So let's talk about real stevia. Again, um, I'm showing this on the video. Real stevia is a, a plant that when you dry it and dehydrate it and turn it into a powder, it turns into a green powder and it is very sweet, like in its natural green powdered state. And so a teeny amount goes a long way. Now, I'll be honest, I don't love the taste of it. So for me, I tend towards the honey, the real honey, real maple syrup and fruit and my pro tip that I'm going to share with you. The interesting thing is I've seen on social media, some people demonizing raw honey as like just a source of sugar. That is not true. Real unpasteurized honey. That's what I mean by real honey. So when it hasn't been pasteurized, it's got what's called phenolic compounds that have very good health benefits. The thing is, it's in the dose matters. So one to two teaspoons of honey a day maximum, okay? Because it does, it does have sugar with it. So you don't want to trigger a massive blood sugar imbalance with it. Also, another tip is 
eat honey on a full stomach, and that will cause less of that sugar spike in your blood from eating it. I love to have a teaspoon of honey after dinner. I usually get a bit of a sweet craving after dinner. And I've had a long standing history of, of, of sugar craving that I've had to really battle and work with and work through. And I find that one teaspoon, and sometimes if I need it, a second teaspoon, so one to two teaspoons of raw, good quality, unpasteurized honey after dinner just really does the trick, just really savoring it. And it does have health benefits. The other option is the real maple syrup. Again, not the maple syrup that's the fake kind that's just sugar and brown natural caramel, like, you know, car- caramel coloring. The real stuff from plants, from trees, you know, the sap from the tree that's boiled down so that it's now concentrated. And again, the research shows that there are nutrients beyond the sugar in maple syrup that are healthy. The damage is in the dose. So again, one to two teaspoons a day is probably is probably going to be okay. More than that, you're starting to get into the damage part, like the, the weight gain and the diabetes and all that kind of stuff, right? So again, uh, ideally on a full stomach as well as an option. The interesting thing about honey is that if you cook it, if you use it for cooking or baking, if you heat it, it loses a lot of its nutrient nutritional value, right? All of those phenolic compounds, they're very delicate. So honey is best consumed raw and fresh, not cooked. So for baking and cooking, that's where you use the real maple syrup. And for me, um, I also like to use date paste. So you take dates, you put them in hot water, and after 10 minutes, then you can take off the skin and take out the seed very easily. And that creates a paste that you can then add to your baking. Applesauce is a great way to sweeten things like muffins or cakes, as are bananas. And, you know, if I'm cooking, um, if I'm baking a cake for a loved one, sometimes you just need that uh, texture of sugar. And for those very occasional, you know, a couple times a year, I will use an organic uh, maple cane or coconut sugar. And I use organic because these crops, the beet crops and the cane crops that are used to make uh, sugar that are not organic are heavily sprayed and I get concerned with the pesticides and the sugar. So if for this, I do buy organic. And again, the poison is in the dose. So as long as you're using it for the occasional um, you know, event, that's okay. Same thing with date paste, applesauce, and bananas. You want to use things in moderation. And one to two servings of fruit a day is fine. When you start to do this in excess, that's when you start to see problems. So sometimes people are like, well, I just really, I, I, you know, I'm used to my diet pop and my diet drink and or, or my diet flavored soda. And now I'm trying to move away from that. What do I do for my sweet drink craving? And I want to share with you what I do is I use licorice root tea. So you can either buy it in a tea, like a little tea bag, like this one I'm showing here by traditional medicinals, organic licorice root tea, or you can buy, you know, the licorice root um, is actually a root of a plant. It's not licorice. So it's not like the licorice candy, totally different animal. If you see this here on video, you can see it's like a root that has been um, broken down into little pieces and you can steep that in hot water. It's such a lovely, sweet flavor. And sometimes you can do things like add cinnamon to it, which is really great for blood sugar balance as well. And I stick to one, maximum two cups a day because um, it's really good for your adrenal glands, for your stress response 
to support it, but it can overstimulate your adrenal glands. And in some people, it can cause in excessive amounts, more than one to two cups a day, it could cause high blood pressure because it's overly stimulating um, your adrenal glands, which which releases things that, that will increase your blood pressure. Okay. So notice that like with everything in life, it's all about the dose. It's like finding that Goldilocks zone. And, you know, I just want to share with you that this approach is something that is, um, it's not just my approach. This is actually a quote by Francesco Branco, the World Health Organization uh, Director for Nutrition and Food Safety. And what he says is, replacing free sugars with artificial sweeteners does not help with weight control in the long term. People need to consider other ways to reduce free sugar intake, such as consuming foods with naturally occurring sugars like fruit or unsweetened foods and beverages. Non-sugar sweeteners or artificial sweeteners are not essential dietary factors and have no nutritional value. People should reduce the sweetness of the diet altogether starting early in life to improve their health. And what I would add to that is not only do they have no nutritional value, unlike small amounts of honey and maple syrup, real maple syrup, which do, these actually could be harmful. They actually can cause cancer in some cases, right? So this is really important. So one of the take-home messages for this is eat natural sources of sugar in moderation, work on developing a healthy relationship with sweetness. And, you know, this is great especially if you're kind of in the early stages of, of, you know, an unhealthy relationship with sweetener. If you're in a deep relationship, deep unhealthy relationship with, with sugar and sweetness, I would also say, and this applies to everyone, of course, but I really want to make sure you understand that the, the holistic approaches, you combine this with a whole foods diet. At every meal, you should look at your plate and half of it should be vegetables. And as you grow older, more of those vegetables should be cooked. It's easier on the digestive system. We lose some digestive power as we age. Each plate, so including, and I mean breakfast as well, half a plate should be vegetables, lunch and dinner, half a plate should be vegetables. Each meal should have between 20 to 40 grams of protein, which has been proven in research to help with blood sugar balance, with curbing uh, food cravings. Uh, That was a big, big thing for me to get my food cravings down. And drinking two and a half to three and a half liters of mineralized water a day. If you're a woman, a smaller size person, two and a half liters, larger size person, three and a half liters. I have a video on my playlist on YouTube. Uh, It's my how-to playlist. And it's how to mineralize your water at home. It, it improves your hydration and it means you don't pee out your water. You actually, the water stays in there and does the hydrating work. Um, drinking the herbal teas, like I mentioned. And here's a big one, strength training two to three times a week. Building muscle helps um, soak up the sugar in your blood. So if, you're, if you are eating, um, if you're still in the phase of eating a little bit too much sugar in your diet or you love your carbs, you know, building muscle allows you to continue to eat your carbs and have less damage from them and possibly even no damage from eating your carbs. So for me, especially when I got into my 40s, I found that adding the protein, adding the vegetables and strength training two to three times a week has allowed me to maintain my weight even as I'm, you know, getting into that perimenopause phase. So I hope you found this helpful. Please, if you're listening to this or watching this, subscribe so you don't miss anything. 
uh, save this and share. Sharing is caring. And more people need to hear about this in this world so that this world can, you know, so people can thrive. And I, I hope you found this helpful. Put your comments and questions below. And I look forward to seeing you next week. Bye now. And thank you for everyone who joined live. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast, Wild Wisdom with Dr. Patricia Mills. If you like this podcast, please take the time to like and subscribe. And please feel free to leave any comments and look below for the contact information if you want to connect with me directly. Thank you. And I hope you have a wonderful day, evening or night. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Just a reminder, this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not a substitute for a professional care doctor or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided with the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you are looking for help in your journey, it is important that you seek out a qualified health practitioner. If you would like to work with Dr. Patricia for her expert health transformation guidance, please email her at info at drpatriciamills.com to book a discovery call. You can also find Dr. Patricia on Instagram at Dr. Patricia Mills and Facebook at Wild Wisdom for Women with Dr. Patricia Mills, MD. For access to all of Dr. Patricia's educational videos and more amazing perks, consider becoming a Patreon member. Links are in the description of this episode. It is important to have an expert in your corner that can help you make the changes you crave, especially when it comes to your health. <laughs>